Oh, it's just so wonderful to be with you tonight, and uh, I want to speak on the theme, being confident. The Apostle Paul said in Philippians 1.6, being confident of this one thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you shall continue it until the day of his appearing. And I'm going to take those first two words, being confident, and expand on them this evening. Um, the story is told of an avid sportsman, uh, an avid outdoorsman, uh, who find from the lower 48, who finally uh, uh, achieved his goal of being able to hike a famous trail in the frozen north of Alaska. The first day he, tra he traveled along a ridge uh, overlooking the pristine wilderness uh, of, Af of uh, Alaska. And in that context, he was excited. Uh, this was a lifelong dream for him. The second day uh, led him across a huge frozen lake. Uh, where it would take him several hours to hike across this frozen lake. And he got up at the crack of dawn because uh, the days were short in, in, that, uh, in Alaska at that time of the year. And so he started off with enthusiasm. He got about to the center of the lake, and he heard a crack, and he stopped in his tracks. And then he thought he heard some more cracking going on. And then he remembered uh, that lakes typically freeze on the edges and then move toward the center, so the center of the lake there would be the thinnest ice. He panicked. He dropped to his knees, and all kinds of fatalistic thoughts kept racing through his mind. He wondered if he'd ever see his loved ones again. And so he dropped to his knees and he brushed away the couple inches of snow that was on the ice and he shuffled forward. And then all of a sudden, he heard a noise. Some of you are a little bit ahead of me. How many have heard and seen the, the program Ice Truckers? All of a sudden, a huge 18-wheeler came barreling across that ice. And this man was up on his knees by then, and he saw the drivers, and they were having a wonderful time. He got up off of his knees, dusted himself off, squared his shoulders, and with a big smile on his face, he charged off into his future. What made the difference? I want to submit to you, it was the message of the 18-wheeler. It was the message that he got loud and clear that the ice was okay, and his confidence level went from here to right through the roof. And I'm praying that the message that we hear from the Word of God today, God's Word as it comes forth and impacted into your life by the Holy Spirit will raise your confidence level. You'll go out of here saying, yes, I am going to charge into my future with a smile on my face, with a confidence in my heart because of God's Word. Confidence is the Greek word parousia. Now, parousia is a word with many different nuances, as many Greek words are. Greek is a wonderful language that has many different inflections to it. Now, we spent three uh, missions trips in 
Greece. And I want you to know uh, uh, that uh, Greek is an entirely different language. And we uh, got exposed to that. Uh, and now I know where the little saying comes from. It's all Greek to me. <laughs> because it is. It's so different. Uh, but parousia, uh, confidence in the Greek, is 31 times in the New Testament as a noun. And nine times as a verb. It means, listen to this now, boldness unapologetic, not defensive, but assertive, proactive, opposite of ashamed, as in 1 John 2, 28, where John says, abide in Christ, that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed at his coming. Confidence is the opposite of ashamed. Let's go on. Confidence is more than trust or hope. And I want you to catch this. It's more than trust or hope. It has the element of anticipation, of excitement, of freedom, and rejoicing, as in Hebrews 3, 6, holding fast and firm to the end of our joyful and exultant confidence and sense of triumph in our hope in Christ, being confident. We need to be people that look forward to what God has for us in our life, no matter how old we are. The Bible says, say not the former things are better than these, for better is the end of a thing than the beginning thereof. My wife and I are looking forward to adventures. We're looking forward to bigger things. We're looking forward to things that God has for us in our future. We are confident, if you please. When we're confident, we are standing up on the inside. The Bible says, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. We're standing up on the inside. We have a winning attitude regardless of circumstances, as in Acts 4.29, where it says, as, as the, as the uh, disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2, and they went out, and they experienced persecution. They came back to the upper room, and they prayed, Grant that thy servants may speak thy word with all confidence. And the Bible says the place was shaken because God was pleased, I believe. And they went out and they spoke the word with boldness. Uh, in Philippians 1.6, in our text scripture, Paul said, being confident. Paul was the personification of confidence, if you please. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 21, he says, I, to live is Christ, and to die is gain, is to gain the glory of eternity. Paul said, in effect, he said, I can't lose. It's a win-win situation. Whatever happens to me in God's will is a winning situation. And so whether I stay here or whether I get launched and catapulted into eternity, it's a win-win was the personification, if you please, of confidence. Romans 8, 28, Paul said, We know that all things work together for the good to them that love God and are called according to his purpose. He didn't say, I think so, I hope so. He said, We know that God's going to turn situations around and they will work for the good. It's a win-win. He was a man of great confidence. 1 Timothy 1.7, 1 
The Bible says that Paul said, God has not given us the spirit of fear or timidity, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. We could go on and on. Romans chapter 8, verse 37. He said, we're more than conquerors and gain a surpassing victory through him who loved us and gave himself for us. We are more than conquerors. And I used to think, how can we be more than a conqueror? If you're in a battle and you win a battle, you're a conqueror. How do you get to be more than conquerors? Several years ago, we were in Germany, and one of our ministries was rehab for the GIs that were hooked on drugs. We had a fine gentleman, a colonel, and the next step is a general. He, he went on to be the youngest general in the U.S. Army. He came to our place, and he said, could I send some, some young men to you? Uh, it'll be a last-ditch effort. Either they make it with you or they get discharged with a, a medical discharge, and, uh, and, and, and this is the last ditch. And I said, of course, we'd love to have them, and that started our rehab ministry. Well, he sent young men to us that had already been through this and that and all kinds of programs, and nothing worked. But when they got to us, if they agreed... And I saw this over and over again. If they agreed and would spend three days in our prayer room and, 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 and our staff would work with them and we'd read the Word to them and we would pray with them and we would saturate them with the Word of God. And then they'd get saved. Many of them got filled with the Holy Spirit. And in that atmosphere, and I'm going to be talking about atmosphere, in that atmosphere, they soaked up the Word. They soaked up the Spirit and the power and the anointing of God. And they came out of there a powerful specimen or exhibit A, I probably should say, of what God could do in their life. Now, they were conquerors over that addiction. But then we saw many of these young men go out and reach out and, and touch their buddies and bring them on in. And so they used their testimony for, to reach others and to grab others and bring them in. And we saw a chain reaction going on. You see, they were conquerors when they were delivered from drugs, but they were more than conquerors when they reached out and, and, and brought someone else in. Paul said we can be more than conquerors. Ephesians 3.20, he said, God will do exceeding abundantly above what we can ask or even think. I remember pastor's father's message on God's idea. If you haven't heard it, you need to get it. God's idea is so far above our idea as the heavens is above the earth. And Paul had a grasp of that. He said, God will do more than we can ask or even think. Paul was living on a realm of confidence with God, if you please. Philippians 3.14, Paul said, I pray toward the mark of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. You see, Paul was not a mediocre Christian. Paul was not willing to be in the smog of this world and be swallowed up by the things of the world. Paul said, God's got 
got a high calling for me. And I want to tell you something today. God has a high calling, a divine destiny for every person in this room. Too often we settle for this when God wants us to live up here in the realm, in the atmosphere of the glory and the presence of God, if you please. 2 Corinthians 2.14. Thanks be unto God. I'm quoting Paul again and again who exhibited confidence in the ways and the things of God. Thanks be unto God who always, say always, always causes us to triumph in Christ Jesus. Paul said, I can't lose for winning. Everything I do is a victory. Everything I'm called to do, God turns it around for the good. Everything I do, there is triumph and there's victory and there's joy. Paul was a man of great confidence. Now, Paul's confidence was, number one, not in himself. Philippians chapter 3, Paul goes through a whole litany of accomplishments and how he was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He was from the tribe of Benjamin. He goes through all of a litany of accomplishments of, of this world. And then he says some key words. He says, all these things are but dung. All of these things are nothing compared to winning Christ. And then he, and he, and he, then he says that these things, he said, I I have no confidence in the flesh. So Paul's confidence was not in himself. Paul's confidence was not in circumstances. Hebrews 12, 27, Paul pens the words that in the last days everything that can be shaken will be shaken. And only that which cannot be shaken will remain. Only the things of the kingdom, only the things of God will remain. So Paul's confidence was in in the kingdom. It was in the power of God. And I want you to know our confidence is only as good as the object of our confidence. It cannot be in self. It cannot be in circumstances. But it must be in the kingdom of God and the power of God. And Paul radiated that, if you please. His confidence was in the things of God. The object of our confidence. Let me just make a a real quick and simple illustration. I didn't see anybody checking their chair out before you sat down a minute ago. Why? Because you had confidence that that chair would hold you up. Now it is possible, it is materially possible that that chair could collapse and embarrass you in front of everybody. But I didn't see anybody checking the chair. Why? You had confidence in the object that you were sitting on, if you please. And our confidence is only as good as the object that it is centered on, if you please. And I want to name three objects or focuses of Paul's confidence. Number one, he was confident in the Lord. Confident in the Lord. Hebrews 13, 5 and 6 says, For God has said... God has said, he's quoting God, he said, I will never leave you or abandon you. So we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. So I will have no fear of what mere people can do to me. He said, the Lord is my helper. The Lord is my helper, if you please. Now, Lord means sovereign. Lord means a a, a, a complete 
sense of sovereignty and power and glory and might, if you please. He said, the Lord is my confidence. In Isaiah, God reveals himself as the high and lofty one from eternity to eternity. The high and lofty. These are words of God. He's describing himself. And in all of Scripture, in all of human history, we see that God has always revealed himself from Genesis to Revelation as the high and lofty one, as the God omnipotent, as the God of glory, if you please. He has shown us who he is. In Genesis, he comes on the scene speaking the worlds into existence with a powerful word, speaking the worlds into existence, the creative word, the power of God we see in Genesis chapter 1. And we see that from the very voice and the will of God, if you please. He wants to reveal himself for who he really is. He is the creator. Now, if you want a, bit, a little expansion of that, read Job 38. Job 38 is so interesting in 39 and 40. It's so interesting because Job was doubting God. Job was casting a shadow on God. And God told Job in Job 38, he said, stand up like a man. I want to talk to you. And he began to expound. Where were you, Job, when I laid the foundations of the earth? And he goes on. Why? He is telling Job about his glory, his might, his power, his creative ability. That's unlimited, if you please. And God's vast power and glory is always given to us in all of Scripture. God reveals himself as a, as a God of power and glory. His three attributes. Number one, he is omnipotent. That means all-powerful. God has all power in heaven and on earth. From eternity past through to eternity future, God is a God of all power. There is nothing that can come close to the power of God. Number two, he is omniscient. In other words, he is all-knowing. God knows everything about everything, past, present, future. He knows it all, if you please. He knows it before it's going to happen. He knows it in eternity past. God is omniscient. God is number three, omnipresent. There never was a time when God was not. There never was a time when he wasn't present. We can't hardly grasp that. But God reveals himself in the word to us as a God of power, as a God of glory, as a God of might. In Revelation, he comes down with the banner, King of kings and Lord of lords. And he wraps up human history as we know it with a bang if you please. And then we have the new heavens and the new earth. It's all glory and it's all power and it's all majesty that God reveals to us. The problem is there's a disconnect between us and the power and the glory of God. Somehow we don't get it. 
I want to illustrate that by Genesis 18, where God sent three angels. And those angels were to give Sarah a message. You know the story. How they came and they said, Sarah, you are going to have a baby at 90 years of age. And Sarah just couldn't grasp that. There was a disconnect there. And she started reiterating all the impossibilities. She said, how is that going to happen? How is that possible? But I want you to look at the angels. The angels who lived in the glory and the power and the majesty of God, where when God spoke, there was thunderings and lightning. They lived in that atmosphere. I want you to know they were flabbergasted. It had never crossed their mind that anything was too hard for God. So they asked the question, is anything too hard for God their mouth was, just flew open. They were amazed. They were just blown away that anybody. And here was the creation casting a shadow on the creator, a shadow of doubt on the creator. Why? Because Sarah just didn't get it. She didn't make that connection. But I want you to know, there's a man in the Old Testament that got it. He got it. And that was King David. Why? How do I know he got it? King David wrote in in Psalm 23, he said, the Lord, the mighty one. And if you read the Psalms, he had a grasp on the power of God. He had a grasp on the glory of God. And he said, the Lord is, present tense, my personal pronoun, my shepherd, my caregiver. Oh, he kind of had a grasp on that. My shepherd, my caregiver. Therefore, I have everything that I need. Not only that, but David didn't stop with this present life. He said, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. David got it. David understood it. Why? Because David was living in the atmosphere, the power and the anointing of God. He spent much time. You read the Psalms, and this is not anything new to any of us here, but you see that David had a grasp of the glory, of the power and the anointing of God, if you please. In the New Testament, Paul got it. Paul said in Philippians 4.19, my God shall supply all of my needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. He was able to take that glory and those riches and able to bring it down into his everyday life. And he was able to experience that power and that anointing of God because he was a man who had great confidence in God. He lived in that realm of glory and honor, if you please. Uh, Acts chapter 27, verse 25. uh, uh, We see that Paul was in a a terrible storm out at sea. And the boat was about to break up and 276 lives would be lost. And so they were in a great storm. They were being tossed to and fro. 
when I was in the Navy, uh, we went through a hurricane one time. I don't know how that happened. Maybe the captain miscalculated or something. I don't know. But anyway, we found ourselves going through a hurricane. And this was a big metal ship, unlike Paul's little wooden boat. But I want to tell you something. It was frightening to see those waves way up there. And then the whole boat would go under, the whole ship would go under the water, and only the superstructure was sticking up and, I, and I'd be up there on the 05 level in the superstructure and I would see the waves just engulf the whole ship and then it would then it would shudder and, 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 and move up and then it would go do that again and then we, we came out into an area of blue sky and calm seas and then we went through the other side of that hurricane but Paul's little boat was made out of wood and he was in dire danger but God spoke to him. God said, you're going to be saved and all of your companions with you. And so what does he say? He said, I believe God. I believe God. And the circumstances didn't tell him that. All of his experience didn't tell him that. But he said, I believe God. And so when our little boat of life gets in, in, in rough waters and we're being tossed to and fro and things aren't going like we want them to go and we have a tendency to fear, we have a tendency to doubt, I want you to know we need to take Paul's example. I believe God, if you please. I remember years ago, years ago, we, uh, uh, our two older children, only 14 months apart, were graduating from high school and uh, wanting to go to college. And I, and I insisted all of my kids uh, that they do at least one year of college, and they all finished after that because they got a taste of what college was like and had appreciation for it. So uh, I, I, I insisted, my wife and I insisted. And so, but we didn't have a nickel. We didn't have any money. We were pastoring a church in a, in a huge building program. And uh, we had given all we could possibly give. We had exhausted every financial avenue. And our people had given and given and given. And so we were in, we were, the only possibility that we had was about 20 years before that, when we first got married, we uh, invested in a piece of land in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma. And uh, it was two and a half acres. We bought it for uh, $2,250 at $25 a month and finally got it paid off. That was the only possibility that we had. Perhaps we could tap that, we said. And uh, we contacted a realtor and she said, all, all it'll bring is $6,000. Well, $6,000 particularly then was better than nothing. Nothing, but it wouldn't meet. It wouldn't make uh, the the, uh, the cut. And so uh, we said, well, you know what? We're going to post a for sale sign, um, and we're going to see if we can do better than that. At least we'll cut out the realtor's commission. Maybe we can do a little bit better than that. And so we did. We posted a sign, um, and uh, we're praying about it. Um, and my wife said, after a, a, a good prayer session, she said, God told me we're going to get $20,000 for that piece of land. You know, me being the man of faith and power for the hour, I said, no way. It's not going to happen. And I talked to her how illogical that was. But you know what happened? The man on the left gave us a low ball bid. But then the man on the right gave us a little 
little higher. And you know what I'm talking about. It just went up and up and up. And then we got this pitiful phone call from the people on the right. And she said, you know, uh, we, we would like to buy that land because our son wants to build on it. Um, and, uh, and she let us know that they were Christian people and were praying about it. Um, and, and it would be so nice to have our son close by take care of us. Uh, would you please uh, sell us that piece of land for $20,000? I said, yes, it's sold. <laughs> the Lord the Lord. Listen, I want to tell you something. When your boat of life is in a, in a, in a quandary and all kinds of things, it's always safe to trust the Lord. Say it with me. It's always safe to trust the Lord. The Apostle Paul knew that. And he said, I believe God, if you please. We know that God has a plan. And God's plan is for us to be people of faith. Hebrews 11.6 says, Without faith it's impossible to please God. He that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Faith. Confidence in God um, pleases God. It puts a smile on God's face. Um, it makes God happy, if you please. Um, we had a situation in Germany. We worked with a lot of GIs, and, and a lot of them were into drugs and all different kinds of things at that time. Um, we had a young man um, who was a, a pimp in Germany, and you got you to realize that in Germany, prostitution is legalized. And he had about six uh, ladies that he, uh, that he organized and, and uh, managed and so on and so forth. And uh, we would go to the bars, and we would go on the streets, and we would, we, we would witness the people. And uh, this young man, a wonderful uh, uh, a young man that that had all this potential, uh, he came to Christ, and when he did, uh, he burned all of his old clothes, made a fire, burned them all. He's a radical guy, and he burned them all, um, and he started out a new life. Um, he said just before he was discharged from the army, he asked me. He said, "Can I come back and work with you?" I said, "Of course." I said, we'd, we'd be glad to have you. Well, he made it back. I didn't think he'd make it back, but he made it back. He showed up, and we we're working on a coffee house, um, and uh, there he was, T, uh, Theodore Hughes. And Theodore um, was a young man, African, uh, American, African young man, um, and uh, he was uh, a young man that had a lot of ambition and a lot of drive. And so he worked with us. I want to tell you something. He just turned his world upside down. He went back into those bars and back into those dives and back into those places. And he witnessed powerfully for the Lord. His life was threatened several times. But at one time, we had five or six coffee houses. And what we would do is we'd give out money for each of the van drivers so that they could make it to the coffee house and back and buy gas and and and, and uh, this particular occasion was was all a faith ministry we uh, we didn't have enough 
write enough money to go around. He said, I, I, I'm just going to trust the Lord. I'm going to trust the Lord. You, you don't, don't bother me. He took a piece of tape and put it over uh, the uh, gas gauge, and, and he said, I'm just trusting the Lord. He was just uh, that kind of person. And uh, so they went to the coffee house, and they witnessed, and they brought people back, and it was snowing like crazy in Germany. And uh, he, he missed the turn uh, into our place, just missed the turn. Uh, and he went about a block further and ran out of gas. And he said, it wasn't God's fault. It wasn't God's fault. It's my fault. Uh, I ran out of gas just past the driveway, if you please. He was that kind of a man. He went on to be a, a, a pioneer in African-American ministry in the Assemblies of God and did great work for God. His first daughter, he called her Shekinah, and he was that kind of a person. He lived on a plane in which he trusted God and did great things for him. Confidence number two in prayer. Hebrews 4.16, I need to move right along. That let us then fearlessly and confidently and boldly draw near to the throne of grace, the throne of God's unmerited favor to us sinners, that we may receive mercy for our failures and find grace to help in good time for every need, appropriate help and well-timed help coming just when we need it. I want you to know Paul was confident in prayer. Paul was a man of confidence in prayer, and he prayed double-barrel prayers. The reason I know that, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 14, 15, he said, I pray in the Spirit, and I pray with the understanding. Double-barrel prayers. He prayed powerful prayers that moved mountains, if you please. When I was in the Navy, they would, every once in a while, they'd do target practice from that ship. We had eight-inch guns, and we had six inch guns. Uh, we also had uh, guided missiles, uh, but when we shot those guns on a broadside, uh, that means all the guns were pointed the same direction, uh, uh, perpendicular to the ship, and those guns went off. It would reel the ship back, uh, and then we would watch those projectiles uh, as they went out about 20, 25 miles and hit the target over there, and you were, you were amazed that there was even a target left. Uh, uh, when they were through, that whole island uh, would erupt uh, into explosion. But it would rock that ship back. And, and uh, to me, that's a picture of praying. When you pray, uh, there's power that's released. Uh, and there's the enemy that's obliterated. Uh, and there's a mighty, mighty explosion of God's power. We need, to, we need to get a picture of the power of prayer. Too often, uh, we pray tepid prayers. Um, we pray little prayers when God wants us to pray big prayers. We see little things when God wants us to see big things, if you please. We need to know that God is a person who loves big prayers and who appreciates praying with confidence, if you please. One time we received a shipment of two pallet loads in Germany in our ministry there, two pallet loads of tracks. We used hundreds of tracks every day. We would fan out across the streets in several different cities of Germany where we had coffee shops and we would go into all kinds of different situations. We used a lot of tracks. And so there was two pallet loads 
load of tracts that a ministry had sent us. And they paid the postage, and, and I went to pick them up, and the man at the post office said, you got to pay customs on those tracts. You know, I argued with him a little bit in, in my best German, and, uh, and we went round and around, and he said, see, there's a picture of a book that they can get, um, and, and that makes it a commercial item. I said, that's not, that, that's a giveaway. That's when you get saved and you send off, his, oh, no, he said, that's a commercial, and he was very arrogant and, and very angry, and he turned around and he left me, just left me, standing there. I was with a, another young man that got, got saved, the GI, and he just left me. And I said, I don't know what to do. I, I really don't know what to do. But I said, let's just pray. And so we prayed. We prayed in the Spirit. Now, we didn't bother anyone. We didn't make a scene. But we paced back and forth in the lobby, uh, uh, the foyer of that place, and uh, we just prayed. And I felt like, man, we're moving mountains we're moving ahead. I felt it in my spirit. All of a sudden, this guy comes almost running up to the desk, up, up to the counter. And he says, take your tracks and go. And they even helped us load them up. And so therefore, we got all the tracks that we, uh, that we had coming to us. Why? Because of prayer. You see, prayer, and Paul had confidence in prayer. He prayed his way through in prayer. And we need to do that. We need to have a confidence in prayer, if you please. So, now, last time I spoke, I gave a little testimony, and this is an up-to-date testimony, right? Just as up-to-date as last week. Uh, I gave a little testimony of how we listed our house, and in four days, uh, we had a contract for full price. And I said, that, that's how God works. We prayed about it, and God did great things, and, and, and it was really more than the house was worth. And, and we said, wow, God just came through, and we're rejoicing, and we're driving up to Michigan, and we have uh, two uh, grandchildren that graduated from high school, and we're going up there. And we get this phone call uh, that the appraisal came in at two eighteen, twelve thousand dollars $12,000 below uh, our price for the house. And the, our realtor, the wonderful man, he said, you know, by judging by history, see, you're going to have to go down the price and, 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 and all this stuff. And, and, and I just didn't feel it in my spirit. And I said, God, you gave us this. I gave a testimony in front of the church. And so we started praying. I want to tell you something. That little car was going down the road, rocking and reeling. We're praying. We're moving in prayer. There's power prayer going on. Um, and uh, a few days later, we got the, uh, uh, the final word uh, that we had uh, the closing coming up, and we closed on that house for full price uh, on Friday. Yeah. I want you to know, God answers prayer. And the realtor said, I have never seen this. He said, I have been in uh, this uh, in, in real estate uh, for 24 years since 1992. He said, I have never seen him. that happen on a price range of that house uh, uh, 12, people make it up to $12,000 above the appraisal. He said, I've never seen it. He called it a miracle if you please. God answers prayer. Number three, being confident in our expectancy of the rapture. Philippians 1 
1.6, our text scripture, Paul says um, that we, uh, being confident of this one thing, he which hath begun a good work shall continue it until the day of his appearing. 1 John 2.28 says, And now, little children, abide in him, that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. The Amplified says, and now little children, abide, live, remain permanently in him so that when he is made visible, we may have and enjoy perfect confidence and boldness and assurance and not be ashamed and shrink from him at his coming. We need to live a life every day that we're confident should Jesus come, um, we will make the rapture. Um, every day when we get up in the morning, you see, Jesus could come at any moment. Um, we're living in the end times. Uh, we need to live in confidence. Um, we need to have confidence in prayer. We need to have confidence in the things of God. Well, how do we do that? Um, how do I increase my confidence level? And that's a fair question. How do I increase my confidence level? We must change our atmosphere. We must change our atmosphere. When you think of David, what kind of an atmosphere did he live in as he penned the Psalms? When you think of the Apostle Paul, the Bible says that he was lifted up into the heavenlies, and he was a man that lived in the power and the glory and the majesty of God. He spent time, his atmosphere, then created that confidence, if you please. Uh, let me give you just a, a, a simple uh, illustration. Um, in the early 60s, I got a pilot's license, a minimum pilot's license, single engine land. Um, and at that point um, in Los Angeles, the smog was so thick um, that you could cut it with a proverbial knife. It was so thick, it burned your eyes. And, and since then, they've done a lot with that. But uh, at that time, it was just awful. Um, and uh, what you would do when you took off in your small airplane um, is you put the pedal to the metal. I want to tell you something. You put the throttle all the way forward um, and you'd climb. And you'd climb just as quick as you could because you couldn't see a whole lot. You were barely in VFR or visual flight rules. Um, and you'd climb. And then there came a point um, where you burst through that smog. Um, all of a sudden everything changed. The sun was shining. If you look to the east, you see the beautiful San Bernardino Mountains. And depending on the time of the year, some of them would be snow-capped. If you look to the west, you would see the beautiful Pacific Ocean sparkling. You see the Catalina Islands and Alcatraz. and All of this would just burst into view because you came out of the, of the atmosphere of the smog, out of the atmosphere of that acrid smell and all of that stuff and you burst into a new atmosphere. And I want to spiritualize this today because what we need to do in our lives, too many people, listen to me now, too many people, too many wonderful Christian people, too many saved and born again Christian people stay in the atmosphere of the smog of this world. Jesus said that the, the, the care 
cares of this life, the deceitfulness of riches, the cares of this life, it steals the Word of God, and they're not fruitful. And too many wonderful Christian people stay in an atmosphere that's way beneath what God wants for them. We need to burst out into a new atmosphere. How do we do that? And that's a fair question. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says we are changed when we look at God through the Word of God. He said we continue to behold in the Word of God as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are constantly being transfigured into his very own image in ever-increasing splendor from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. When we get into the Word, you see this Word is the most precious thing that I own. It's the most precious thing that I own. It's the gateway to the victory and the glory and the power and the, and the sense of God's presence that I need desperately in my, wife, in my life. And so as we get into the Word, I call it spiritual osmosis. We get into the Word. We read the Word. Now, this is not hard. This is not hard. Um, it takes discipline, but it's not hard um, to spend time in the Word. And the Bible promises us um, as we get into the Word, um, our confidence level is going to go up. As we get into the Word, we are going to be changed from glory to glory, might to might power to power, anointing to anointing. That's when we get into the Word of God. By spiritual let me just illustrate this with a uh, physical illustration. When we get into the sunlight, we sit in the sunlight, something happens to our bodies and our psyche, if you please. Uh, a, a, uh, the, when we get into the sunlight, serotonin is produced, which is a mood enhancer or an antidepressant. So just sitting in the sunlight ministers to us a mood-enhancing hormone in our bodies just by absorption of sunlight. Secondly, we begin to produce vitamin D by sitting in the sunlight. And so physically, we get enhanced. Emotionally, our sight gets enhanced. And if we're reading the Word of God as we're sitting in the sunlight, spiritually, something's happening in our spirit. It's not hard to do. We can sit in the presence of God, read the Word of God, find some sunlight, preferably in the morning when it's not too hot. And, uh, and, and, and all three things are happening because we're soaking up spirit, soul, body. We're soaking up. It's the Word of God that'll make the difference and make us to be a powerful, victorious Christian that God wants us to be. And so I want you to stand with me, would you please? Stand with me. And in that context, I want to pray for you. Holy Spirit, I ask you, even right now, to move on everybody's heart. 
may they receive, may every person receive an 18-wheeler message that will change their life. May they move in the Word of God. May they discipline themselves to spend time in the Word, to be elevated into the atmosphere where the Holy Ghost is producing confidence. The Holy Ghost is producing faith. You said faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. And they'll move up. They'll move up, Lord, out of the smog, out of the things that are urgent into the things that are important, out of the everyday distractions of life, and move up into the will and the ways of God that you have in your divine design for their lives. Father, I pray that there be commitments made to get in the Word, commitments made to stay in the atmosphere of the Holy Ghost. Be like uh, David, Lord, who spent time uh, in the atmosphere, the power, and the anointing of God, that we could get it, that we could apply it, that we could live it in our everyday lives. Father, I pray this in Jesus' name um, for your glory, Lord. Um, And as the musicians play today, and as they lead us into worship, I want you to be very attentive to the Holy Spirit. Would you do that? Be very attentive to the Holy Spirit because I know that God has a higher level for every one of us here. No matter where we're living, what our station in life is, God has a higher level. And He wants us to be people of confidence, people who do great things for God, people who have a a vision and have a desire and an excitement about the things of God. And so I want you to spend just a little time before you're dismissed tonight and let the Holy Spirit move upon your heart. Would you do that? God bless you today.